0: This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. Hello, I'm Glenn Wheeler, and welcome to episode 264, brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Mi'kmaq Matters. This week, our topic is archaeological research and Mi'kmaq people on the island of Newfoundland, or more specifically, the lack of that research. That's a big problem for a couple of reasons. It denies us knowledge of our ancestors and their lives. And just as importantly, it's an obstacle in asserting our rights through land claims or treaty, because the legal system in which we will find ourselves relies on that kind of information. We're very pleased to have, as our guest this week, Natasha Jones, Halibut member and graduate student in the archaeology department at Memorial University of Newfoundland and Labrador. For her master's degree, she's working on a research project in central Newfoundland. I asked her about her work, why there has been so little research of the Newfoundland Mi'kmaq, and her family connection to the famous American anthropologist Frank Speck tell us first about um, research that has been done that is available on Mi'kmaq history on the island of Newfoundland. I gather from your work that there's surprisingly little such research. That's
1: that's correct, Glenn. Especially in terms of archaeology, it's very sparse. Uh, Publicly available, there are two scholarly published articles so one is from 1984 <laughs> that's penny and nickel a lot of people know the name jerry penny mm-hmm. uh he worked on the the majority of the archeologys known with the megamah community and the second publication is from ni- uh 2019 actually uh from Barry Galton and his co-authors and he's one of my supervisors so that's a big span of time between the two articles and and that's what's publicly available that's peer reviewed work that's out there Mm-hmm. Um, there has been some other work done by Jerry Penny, but those are reports filed with the PAO. So they're not something you could probably, you could find through the archives at Mon. You'll see them referenced, but they're held with the provincial archeology span office. they are reports that you file. And when I do any field work, I would file the same type of reports for them.
0: And as you note in your, um, in your research proposal, there's much more information on the Inuit and Inuit of Labrador. How do you explain the difference, the shortage of, uh, stuff about our people?
1: Some of the more prominent reasoning is that there's been an archaeology happening with those communities for much longer. Uh, there's a lot longer history of either cooperative research between those communities and archaeologists, or even research being done in general. For the N'igua community, very understudied, not a lot of attention towards research, even in, in terms of general research. It's, it's quite lacking when you compare it to the other nations here in the province. And another part of that could be due to Uh, I guess, us later coming on the scene with uh, recognition. So we spent a lot of years working towards recognition and those. So you would see a concentrated effort on that more so than research. Now, I guess our communities have a lot stronger footing and you're seeing more partnerships now. So I'm hoping that means our time is coming. (laughs) Yes. You know, that more and more research is going to happen and more and more collaborations and... To the future,
0: as you remark in your in your work, there there is that uh, feeling. I guess that's still around that uh, Mi'kmaq came to Newfoundland with the Europeans. So, do you think that's a factor that uh, you know where there is this assumption that um, uh, we were not uh, on the island uh, before uh, the arrival of the Europeans?
1: I do feel personally that that contributed to the lack of work. But when I look at that and say, OK, so maybe that's the reason some archaeologists or other researchers in other fields uh, decided not to work with our communities or even to study us because a lot of work in the past was done on us, not with or for us. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, OK, that could be a reason. But there's so much time and effort put, put towards settler archaeology. And and that's not as long into the past either. That's not ancient. So why wouldn't our history, no matter how far back it goes or not, also be valuable and worth mm. studying time and effort? Mm-hmm. I've I've worked on historical projects. I worked on one a couple of years ago, actually, in Millertown. Uh, it was called the SS Fleetway, so it's a tugboat that sunk in the lake in the 20s. Uh, it's a beautiful historical site, and that has value to its community and to the people who know about the wreck, people who still remember what happened, people who had stories. Likewise, Meagamow sites, no matter how old or young they are, they have value for us. They're mm-hmm. connected to our family members, our ancestors. So I, I can see why that pre-contact, contact argument could have swayed people to not have that interest. Because you're not going to go, maybe we're not going to find ancient. Maybe we are. We don't we don't really know because not a lot of work's been done, really, <laughs> honestly. So so there's always the possibility of finding it. But I just think it has value no matter what. Yes, And I just needed people to see that.
0: You mentioned the work that has been done. And what does that tell us about uh, our Mi'kmaq uh, history? Well, it is
1: fairly limited. Um, Jerry Penny's work was on um, the Burnt Knapp site. Uh, a few folks might have heard of that. So he studied uh, a Wigwam site, a ca- camping trapping site in the 1980s. It's a, it's a very interesting article. It's fairly brief, but it has a really nice map of the site. Uh but it's sad to know that that's one of the only pieces of archaeology that we have at that point in time. Prior to that, you're looking at Frank Speck, the anthropologist in the early 1900s. So you have that big gap with an anthropologist Frank Speck. You have Penny and Nickel. And you have Galton. And they did the work on the petroglyphs. It's very interesting. I know uh, that was very exciting for the community to see rock art. Because yes. that's not something that we've had a lot of here. Mm-hmm. And there's always the potential to find more rock art, too. And what that can tell us about our relations. And the connections we have to the island. I just think that the work that has been done has told us some things, but there's so much more we could find out. And it's especially important for protections when something's designated an archaeology site or an ethnographic site. That's the two designations the PAO has, the Provincial Archaeology Office, that offers some protection for development. For, and even when projects are going through, the will okay. There's a dot on the map. We know that you know. Don't put a road through that site. But if if the sites aren't logged then there's nothing to account for them, even though they may be there, even though some community members might know of sites. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes archaeology so important.
0: Yes, and depending uh, on uh, the future of uh, what the future legal strategy is for Mi'kmaq and Newfoundland, if there were a search of a land claim or some attempt to bring us under the peace and friendship treaties, that research would be crucial. So once, I guess, once it's dug up and destroyed, it's it's gone forever.
1: It is. And you're right. The work I'm doing could be very useful for any for any of our groups that might be looking at land plan possibilities or or even, like I said, protection for sites and also um, mitigation reasons. So I know we've seen what happened with Muscat Falls and the flooding of, uh, you know, territory there. Uh, A lot of materials were removed from that site before. Um, Now, uh, there was a lot more that was there than they initially thought. That's why it's so important to get out on the land and to get people aware that it could be sites anywhere. And the interior is very understudied. And it's just, there's not a lot of accidental finds in our area because of that, you know, not a high population. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, the coast, it's not beaches. It's, you know, not where people are spending, you know, picnic time. Right. It's just kind of hard to get to country. You might have a few people, prospectors, people who like to fish, and they might have the ability to have these accidental finds. And that's a, that's a big thing too. It's just educating others that. I might run across something. I didn't even realize how important yes. it could be.
0: And so let's talk about your work then because you were um first of all, tell us about the area that you're interested in and um and how your work will unfold.
1: For anyone who might have seen the photo of the study area going right. It looks really large, <laughs> almost unfeasibly large. And that's kind of true. I know my supervisor said the same thing like your study area is massive. And it's something that I was questioned about through the department. I said yes it is. Uh, but I'm counting on the community to narrow it down for me. So, the communities here in Central, uh, so you see the Exploits Ward and the Glenwood Ward and uh, Con River. I said they're going to point me to the areas of focus within that study area because there's no way possible for me to focus on the whole of the Central South region. But I trust in the community members and even through the archival sources, maps, documents to show me areas that have a lot of potential for having sites for. For Mi'kmaq families and ancestors, and that's how we'll narrow it down. So I'm going to do interviews this fall. I've got a few books so far. So I'm hoping some other folks come forward because it's really big. It's it's our community knowledge that helps us. Because not everything, well, I have to say, while the archive sources are great, and they have some really valuable site locations. And you know, you have James P. Halley and Cormac and all the folks who employed Mi'kmaq guides talking about where sites were, that's only half of them. That, that's only a like a drop, small drop of what could be the sites. So it takes a community to get this project really going. So with the interviews, I'm hoping folks will come over, come forward, have a conversation like we're having. Nothing too scary involved with the interviews. Mm-hmm. Just share your stories, what you know about your family sites or even friends. Uh, and you could be Mi'kmaq or non-Mi'kmaq coming forward. I know there are lots of folks who they're settlers, but they have close relationship with the Mi'kmaq community. And they spent a lot of time on the land with Mi'kmaq folks. So they might be aware of the sites. And the Mi'kmaq folks who use those sites, those ancestors, they might be already passed on, but their friend is still alive. And said, like, said oh, well, I know where the site is. Mm-hmm. So it really takes the whole of the community, settler and Mi'kmaq here to bring this project together. And once I collect stories uh, from the community, I'll be able to see where there might be high potential areas. So I, I have some... Theories on where there might be something <laughs> just just kind of knowing what's not known now but i know where there are spots and i know folks who just talk to me in general conversation and they might be the areas that really come out and say okay they need to focus and that's what we'll pick i'm going to only pick a, a feasible number of sites um i'm going to estimate four <laughs> <laughs> for fairness uh i don't i think it would wouldn't be practical to do more than that because then i could have a week per site hopefully or area so next fall go out in the land to actually look for the the selected sites, selected areas. Projects are certainly going to get smaller as the right. year goes on, and we'll get those focus areas. A part of this project is I'm listening to the community and what the community wants done. So the community might not want invasive test pitting at a site, so because mm. maybe they they've picked a sacred site that they want logged. Right. And so they might say, well, we don't want photographs. We just want to make sure it's logged and, and tagged on a map. It's got coordinates. It's got that protection. That's fair. I'll follow their lead. Uh, there might be a place where they say, well, this site is really, really important for you to get to, for us because it's falling in the river. So that could be in a, in a more invasive site, because they're trying to maybe save it before something happens to it. So it's it's really community-led. I must say, I, I might be the researcher, I might be the graduate student, but I do not own the project. <laughs> I don't control it. The community steers this project.
0: Now, there may be some who look at your map and say, well, that's... Uh... That area of central is Beothic territory. It's Red Indian Lake, and uh, it's the uh, land of Shanadith and Damasduit And, um, and uh, how, does, how does the Mi'kmaq history relate to the Biafic uh, history? Uh, how do you explain that uh, question if it comes up?
1: Very true. And it's something that I'm familiar with and I've ran across and I've seen, actually. So, yes, Central is known as Beothic territory, of course. And even our oral history said we were much more to the west and south coast before we moved up into the Notre Dame Bay area and to the Red Indian Lake, Beothic Lake area. And that's true enough. But the sites, there's still Mi'kmaq sites there. There's still families connected to places, and they would like to see those protected and acknowledged. So there's a lot of overlap, too. There are areas. Well, I'll use uh, Badger for example. That's where my mother's from. Uh, there's a area in Badger. Uh, it's a very highly disturbed site now, but it's ca- called Pope's Point. So it's right at the edge where the Exploits and Badger Brook and Little Reninian, they all meet. So three rivers converge. Beautiful site, and it's already logged as a megamass site. It's also logged as a biotic site, and it's logged with an older indigenous nation. I believe it's Paleo Inuit. Uh, so you have this usage of this spot again and again and again by different nations. That there's potential for that in the area, for groups to repeatedly use a site. Because if there's a great site, why would you pick the rocky spot next to it mm. when someone else already has a beautiful area? Of course, you're gonna pick the beautiful area. That's probably been reused. And, you know, it's easy to settle again and again. So yeah, certainly, do I think I'm? I would run across biothic material, ancestral cultural materials. I think so. It goes with the question. I might because of re- reoccupying sites. But I'm also going to come across sites that are Mi'kmaq only. And it's just important to it's important to honor all sites and all nations. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have seen people wonder, you know, this is not historically, you know, you're not going to find ancient Mi'kmaq sites here. But that's okay if that's the case. Because there's still other Mi'kmaq sites to log and protect and talk about and share stories about. And they're all they all have value.
0: You mention uh, Frank Speck, you know, uh, Frank Speck, of course, uh, was not Mi'kmaq, he was an American, but um, he, I guess, used the same tools uh, that you're using. He talked to people, got their stories, and, um, and uh, worked on the oral history. So I suppose um, the oral history is very important, and it's the sort of the basis of uh, archaeological research in a way.
1: Very much so. And I think I would say I'm very personally connected to Frank Speck's research because my family, my great-great-grandfather, John Paul, was who he interviewed, who he collected oral stories from in Badger. My aunt's photograph, my aunt Maggie Paul, my great-aunt Maggie, of her and her caribou skin coat and her doll is on books. (laughs) It's used in publication materials. I see my family all the time. I see my great-grandfather modeling a tump line next to his cousin, Tom Joe. So I'm very connected to, I think, That's probably the reason I got into archaeology. I had this deep family connection. Growing up, I always saw photos of Aunt Maggie on the wall, photos of my great-grandfather. You know, I listened to my pop talk about his relatives in Badger as I would sit on the garden, which doesn't exist anymore since the flood, but we all all the Pauls, we all had uh, houses all in this one garden. And so I'd see the photographs of my Mewmaw family members there, hear their stories, and I would know that, you know, I was always told, well, your Aunt Maggie's coat is in a museum in Ottawa, and her doll. And when I got much older and I really looked into Frank Speck's work, I realized, oh, it's much more than the doll and the coat. There is a whole collection of Mi'kmaq ancestral materials, or what ar- archaeologists would call artifacts, in the Museum of History in Gatineau, Quebec. And they all come from Badger. And I, I just look at them and I know, because I know the stories of my family, I know who made what items. Like, <laughs> And so there's this deep connection with anthropology and archaeology throughout the years. And even my great grandfather, uh, who was photographed by Speck, he later gave information to the provincial archaeology office about a potential site in the interior. So there's this continuing relationship between my family on my mother's side and archaeology and anthropology. And I guess maybe I was always meant to take this path, just mm. took a little while to get there.
0: So, Tasha, there may be people out there who have something to tell you. Is there, uh, how should they get in touch with you?
1: Oh, certainly. So I, I do have a, a recruitment letter going around on social media. I am trying to post it up in communities. Every community I've gone to, I usually go around to stores and post offices mm-hmm. and I do put the letter up. Uh, but if anyone's listening to this, I can be contacted using my Memorial University email, which is U39NMJ at one.ca Or by my cell phone, you can text or call me at 709-486-8925.
0: Mm -hmm. and going forward do you do you expect to see more research like yours uh, in different parts of the island we have you know the bay saint george area we have cape ray all very crucial areas but all very understudied and if time goes on we'll lose the elders who have the stories we might even lose the land with uh, erosion caused by climate change so things are at a very critical stage and um we had to get moving on this stuff before it's too late.
1: I agree, Glenn. And that's why I'm hoping there's others going to follow in my footsteps and maybe even do much better than me. And, you know, either they are going to focus, maybe they'll pick, Cape, like you said, Cape St. Ray. I'm so surprised that that hasn't been a focus area yet, given the oral history of traveling from Cape Breton to halfway mm-hmm. Island or what's known as St. Paul's Island today to Cape Ray. And, you know, that seems like a fantastic area for focus. And I would love to do the whole island. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think my supervisors are like, okay, you got to be realistic and feasible. (laughs) And I live in Central, so it's it's very feasible for me to be able to work full time and do this project because I'm here in the location. Uh, But I always keep talking about doing a PhD and expanding (laughs) and -hmm. doing other areas. But what I really hope is others see the value in Mi'kmaq archaeology and working with Mi'kmaq community, settler or... Nans or indigenous doesn't matter the archaeologist if you're well willing to come work with the community work with us partner with us i'm sure we'll be happy to have you the more voices the, the better it is the latter you know the latter we are when it comes to megal archaeology
0: well great natasha uh important work good luck thanks for telling us about it and um i hope you find some interesting stuff out there so maybe uh at when you're finished you'll come back again and tell us what you found
1: that's part of this, actually, is a, a big thing that I've spoke about. I've, I've been doing some community engagement sessions, some meet and Greece, because not everyone knows me. So it's, you know, get to meet me if, if you don't know me. And I, I talk about the project. But a big part is that I'm going to do this at the end of the project. I'm going to go to communities again and tell them what I found or didn't find or, you know, what was surprising. What was my favorite part? What was the hardest part, I guess? And so I, I, I don't want it to be the research of the past where folks come in and they take things. They collect things and you never hear from them again. You never see the items again. Uh, I I guess part of that comes from the Frank Speck journey. You know, (laughs) he came in, he did his work, and I value his work, but there's so much that's gone. I would just love to see everything that was collected from Badger and his work to be here in Newfoundland. Even if it was the rooms, it would be much more feasible for relatives to go and visit the rooms than it is Gatineau.
0: We were speaking with archaeologist Natasha Jones about her very important research regarding Newfoundland Mi'kmaq sites. And that's it for the program. Thanks for joining us. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave a positive review on ACAST or Spotify or wherever you're listening so that we can reach even more people with Mi'kmaq news and views. Look for us on Facebook, X, and Instagram and introducing our new website migbommatters.com Allison Baker is the producer of Migbom Matters I'm Glenn Wheeler from Senokoma